I am unashamed. What about you? So, uh, Zach sent me this morning something I, I would call shocking, uh, wouldn't you, Zach? This, uh, our old friend George Barna, who's, uh, he's a survey man. You know, he's for years, he's like done a lot of surveys about what believers, you know, around America, church leaders, that type of thing. He's, he wrote a book many, many years ago. I guess one of his first ones called The Frog in the Kettle, which was a pretty big splash back then about, you know, just finding out what, what the vibe was in churches. Cause you know, you're in your little place that you're in, you know, and you don't always know what's going on across the landscape. So he just did some research. Uh, and, and when it came out, uh, here's was the results of it. Um, he had, um, he did a survey for Christian pastors around America and asked if they, what their, if they possessed a biblical worldview. And then there were criteria and I don't know, Zach, if you can find those criteria, because I don't have that right in front of me. Yeah, I've, would, got them, I've got them right here. You, that you want would, me to read them? Yeah, yeah, read this. So, so <laughs> we're going to set it up, and then I'm going to read you the results, Dad, and, and get you and Jason get your take on it. All right, hold on. I said I had it up. Um, yeah, so the, essentially what he's defining here is um, what what does it mean to have a Christian worldview? And so then he's going to ask the question among certain populations of people, who who holds these views right here to be true? And there's not many of them, and they're pretty broad. Uh, the first one is, uh, for the purpose of the survey, uh, Barnard defines a biblical worldview as uh, believing that absolute moral truth exists, number one, so absolute moral truth exists. Two, that the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles that it teaches. So it's not even necessarily going as far as biblical inerrancy. It's just saying that just the principles that it teaches, the Bible is is totally accurate. Uh, three, that Satan is considered to be a real force, um, a, like a real, a real agent, um, not just merely symbolic. Uh, four, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or to do good works. Uh, five, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life life on earth. Six, that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, and the creator of the world who still rules the universe to this very day. Um, uh, let's see, any more? Yep, that, that's pretty much it. So I, I could safely say that the four of us would believe all that to be true. I, I, you know, I certainly do. So here was the breakdown on how many different pastor roles uh, agrees with that and has that worldview. Senior pastor, so the main guy at most churches, for 40%, 41% believe that to be true, which means Ooh. that almost 60% do not agree with something in, in that list. So th- that was, the, there you go. There's your, and that's the top. That's the best. The next one is the associate pastor. He's down to 28% that hmm. believes that to be true. A teaching pastor, 13%. A, a children's or youth pastor, 12%, meaning 88% don't believe something in that list. And the executive pastor, which is the guy who pretty much runs things in most of the churches, 4%, meaning that 96% of them don't have a biblical worldview in, in one of the things they define. So I don't know. I found that to be shocking. And maybe explains a lot about what's going on in America and why the church is not very effective at, you know, stopping our crumbling culture. 
I don't know. What do y'all think about that? I mean, how does that strike you? Because I was shocked. Well, it reminds me of the passage we just left, uh, Colossians 2, about the dying sounding arguments that, you know, the, the, uh, that depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world. So, yeah, I, I found it to be very disturbing as well. I, I was a little shocked. I'm, you know, I, you know, I don't know how big the survey was. I haven't I looked at it yet. I think it was more than a survey. I think it <laughs> that's was kind of where I went. I was like, maybe they didn't understand the questions. <laughs> I would simply say, uh, the, the, a, a great, uh, in numbers, a growing, uh, uh, group have basically said here's what we think in other words we're on planet earth we're looking around you know how'd we get here how'd the, how'd the cosmos get here what are we doing here like Jay says is there a way out of here is it possible so we look at it and some highly intelligent people have said here's what we think and a lot of the culture has gone with them, that we think that uh, there was a large explosion, you know, billions of years ago, and that explosion is what you're seeing right now, the cosmos. So then you say, so how'd we get here after the explosion? They said, well, salt water made us. So if you just look at it logically, I'm looking at the things you just listed. For me, it's easier to believe there's some great power added all up, the design of it all. It's easier for me to believe a simple sentence, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I either believe that or I believe there was an explosion not knowing what exploded. There's an explosion so what was there just prior to the explosion? They say nothing. I'm thinking, well, you've got nothing exploding and you start there and you don't acknowledge things like sin, uh, love, hate. You, you, you don't have time for all that. You just, we're, 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 we're little, little balls of molecules stumbling around down here. And there's no, there's no end game except physical death, and then they were done. I just looked at both systems, and it's easier for me to believe in God. And I've never seen him, never seen Jesus. I'm looking at the way it worked out. We ended up, for some strange reason, not counting time by some kind of explosion. We're counting time. Our calendars just walk back 2022 to year one. Well, whoa, that's the year Jesus showed up. That's interesting. So we're counting time by him, but they've looked at it and said, we're not going to count time by him. We think billions of years ago there was an explosion. So just right, right out of the box, I think it's easier for me to believe in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I read the entire story. It tells you where you came from, where the cosmos came from, what are you doing here? And there is a way out. It just, at least we have hope that... Uh, yeah, and I, I think I think a lot of the people in the survey, though, would, would um, 
claim they would claim that that they believe in Jesus and and that they are a Christian. And I think I mean these are leaders in the church, um, and I you know, it's just concerning to me that like what you know the fact that we can't if that's because that I thought the list was pretty benign. I mean it was kind of basic tenets of the of the Christian, Christian faith. faith. It wasn't yeah. anything that was like. We didn't get into baptism. Let's not to bring that up again. But it wasn't like these kind of issues. It was like just core tenets of the faith. Um, not even core tenets of the faith. Just really fundamental, you know, um, ideas. So uh, well, it was think, a little. I think little, yeah, Zach, you're right. And when you think about it, that even you know, accuracy and inerrancy of the scripture. Once you begin to move away from you know the straight path then, you know, boy, it gets, it gets pretty wonky then in terms of we, we can go anywhere. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing. I think you're seeing whole movements and whole denominations that they've really just lost their way because of that. And so, uh, and, and my point is when you lose it in the church, which Jason, and I talk about this a lot on this podcast, then, which is the Bible's written mostly to the church, but when you lose your way there, then you, you can't be a light. You can't be a guidepost because there's no difference in you and the people you're supposedly trying to in, introduce Jesus to. James, so James, I, in the book of James, it says it pretty well. Uh, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body because you, you hear what a lot of people are saying. It corrupts the tongue. It corrupts the whole person, set the whole, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with, with the tongue, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape? vine bear figs neither can a salt spring produce fresh water who is wise and understanding among you here's what i've embraced instead of there's no god no good no evil no satan all that let him show it by his good life by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly. That's what we're currently looking at more and more. D wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, impartial of the devil. For where we have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace 
a harvest of righteousness. So you have two systems. One operates like that with those with those uh, characteristics, mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers. So what we're seeing is a gigantic war, and it's all about good and evil. The atheists and the unbelievers and the ones that their father is salt water, they just don't have an argument for loving anybody. It's just not there. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. And then a gigantic proportion, and based on those stats, a lot of people inside the church have bought into it. Yeah. Well, I think that's the key. You, 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 it's one thing to think just people, but when we start talking about leaders and churches that are trying to take some of the worldly stuff and then apply it in or say, hmm. well, you know, the Bible's not really true yeah. or accurate all the way through. I mean, there's parts in there that are obviously just hyperbole, whatever, you know, however people, you know, can deny it. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It puts puts you in such a vulnerable position in spiritual warfare. I think you're exactly right, Dad, because you're allowing the evil one to then come in with these deceptive and hollow philosophies we're talking about and really steal everything, steal your, your, your candlelight, a, you know, the way John put it. Yeah. They had a 17 year old, 18, maybe this morning on. And he said, well, I, I get on the computer and then I sleep about 16 to 18 hours each day. But then I get back on my computer and, he just sits in a back room, 17, 18 years old, and that's what his life is. Gets up, gets on the internet, looks at whatever he wants to look at, and sleep. Then get up and look at some more on the internet, go to sleep. That's what his life is all about. And the, and the, 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 the suicide rate is out the roof. I mean, there's... It's up to like 40% of young people are saying, yeah, I've thought about just just killing myself. So you get a culture where there's no hope and it's all based on your father being salt water. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a terrible thing to look at. But Jesus yes. addressed this, you know, on Sermon on the Mount. Damn, Let's take a break. Jesus addressed this on, you know, when he gave that Sermon on the Mount, he's like, watch out for false prophets. I mean, why was he saying that early on? It's like they come to you. In sheep's clothing. In in sheep's ferocious ferocious wolves. Yeah. Sheep's clothing. And, I mean, I think, you know, the only thing you can guard against is he said, just look at their fruit. So you think of the fruit of the Spirit, because a lot of people are in churches. They've been going there the whole life, whatever. And, you know, to, to not look at the fruit of the leadership, if they're, if you don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, well, you might as well say, wait a minute. There's not a focus on Jesus above all other things. Eh, hang on. If we're not leaning toward grace and the authenticity of God's Word, I mean, I think that's pretty basic. Yep. So, you know, he then went on to say, I mean, kind of frightening, 
not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And many will say, oh, Lord, didn't we, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons? And he, he says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. So, I mean, that's the only thing I would interject. But, you know, I, I think you got to But when you say, in Jace, in modern times that people— I mean, one of the church's obviously biggest issues is they seem to be, they want to be popular as opposed to being truthful. Because look, the truth is not super popular. You know, I mean, it's when you tell people this is wrong, you shouldn't do that. I've noticed it in this, you know, abortion has kind of come back to the forefront these last few months because of, you know, current events and Roe v. Wade and all that. And so I've noticed like some archbishops around the country and I mean, they've taken strong stands about abortion. They've said that certain politicians can't take communion because of what they're doing. And the pushback from the popular people that, that are, you know, on television is they're like, well, yeah, that's the reason your, your churches are losing people because you take these stands on things that are, you know, that, that was their response well, to it. And I thought, I mean, no, I think, he, he's yeah. doing the right thing. I mean, it's, it's well, his job to say you're straying. But that's a different point. I, th- I think when you're trying to police the world without Jesus, that's not your lane. You know, I mean, we in the church, we have different conversations because people claim to be followers of, of Jesus. I'm not going to be shocked that the world acts like the world. So I, I do think we should share Jesus to the world. When, you know, the, when it comes to protecting human life, that one's a little different because you are protecting the innocent. I do think you should stand up and, you know, fight for life. But, it, but what I'm saying, Jay, is in, their, in the system of the Catholic Church, he, he is her pastor. And, and so she, she made a statement. He made it. And, you know, they made it public. But I'm, I'm saying he, that's what he should be doing. He should be saying that's wrong. You shouldn't be yeah, doing right. that. And, and, and so if you don't have people willing to take stands like that, I mean, I applaud the guy. I mean, you know, that, that takes well, courage. Well, I agree. But I'm saying true. with other social issues, you know, people are just wanting to. There's a difference in trying to police the world as a church when your own life, the fruit is not there. I mean, what I'm saying is how many times have you seen people get up church leaders and preach fantastical sermons on cultural issues? And then, right. you know, a year later comes out, well, he's, you know, living yeah. some secret Old life. Time he's been, and, right. Well, that, that's why, you know, it, it's our job is to share Jesus and offer grace to be humble I mean, there are times where you have to be courageous in, in moments, and I do think protecting the unborn is one of those moments. But I also realize you have different conversations outside of church than you do inside with with people. But, you know, it, it's it's hard to – you're not going to get people to live right without Jesus is my point. Yeah. So you can just, yeah, I think we, you know, alienate yeah, yourself I or, or offer grace. There does seem to be, in my opinion, in my observation, like an use the term um, people want to be popular, which you know sounds kind of silly when you say it like that. But I mean that's really what it is, right? Like there is like a fear. I've I've talked about this a lot. I actually talked about it at our church on Sunday because we were in Matthew chapter ten, which is about persecution and and how we are to uh, enter into the culture. Uh, with the message of the kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And um, 
He says, be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. And, you know, I think there has been a little bit maybe of an unhealthy, I don't want to like throw everything out with the bathwater, but there has been an unhealthy probably um, bent for a lot of Christian leaders. I've felt this personally um, to be winsome or to be uh, nuanced, or I think these are the terms that we would probably use, right? We want to be able to you know, speak, speak in such a way that, you know, it's hard to nail us down and whatnot. Cause we want to be, we no one wants to be marginalized. Nobody wants to be cast into the light as a fundamentalist or a extremist or, you know, extremist or yeah. out of touch or bigoted or whatever the accusations that are going to come. And you know, they're going to come when you make any, any stance. And, and, and we see the opposite of that too. We see people that turn everything into a political football. We're like, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be associated with that either. But, um, but there is a point at which, you know, that we have to like be bold enough to be rooted in, in truth. I said this Sunday, I'm not sure where I got this from. So if, if I stole this from whoever's listening, if, if you said this and I stole it from you, I'm sorry. I don't remember where I heard it, but it was essentially you can you can um, teach the truth without love. You can tell the truth without love, but you can't love without telling the truth. And I think that's. When I see that survey, I'm just gotta, I gotta, I wonder how did we arrive at such a point? And maybe it's always been that way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's always been the state of the professional clergy uh, that hasn't really held to a biblical worldview. I don't know. But I would think that the majority of people that are in that category look at that, the, those things and, and something in there is like, yeah, I'm not gonna go with that because I don't wanna be marginalized. So I do think that that could possibly be, Al, to your point, a major motivation. And another thing that I thought about, too, was um, I found it interesting that that, that executive pastor role was made only only 4%. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, and, and, and maybe maybe there's something to the fact that maybe the church is relying less on the Holy Spirit in the last 15 to 20 years, and we're relying more on uh, kind of our church growth models. And not to say that those church growth models are bad in and of themselves, but when we when we quit relying on the Holy Spirit and we try yep. to put everything into a business model, <laughs> yep. um, you know, I just wonder what the reper- you know, repercussions of that are going to be for the church. Yeah, here's, here's James That's again. That's a great point. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, this is a 2,000, right at it, 2,000-year-old writing. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. Just think of every every major city in these United States, and then you look worldwide, and you're like, whoa. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, this is a scary one. Don't you know that friendship with the world, and I'm afraid that many of many of many a church has fallen victim to this. Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So mm-hmm. these, you take your education system where the, 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 the mention of God, Zach, you can't even mention God, nor evil. 
you, good and evil. You, you can't even mention it. So you do that for 60 years to a culture like we've done. It's been about 60 years, beginning in the 60s, 60 to 70 years. You're looking at the results of a culture that does do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You get that's, down that that's road, a, that's a, it's a brutal, it's a brutal road, and it's it's even gotten into the churches, got to yeah. where they don't take a stand on anything. Well, you said it. Four percent believe in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. There is a and devil. These, there the is de good. There is evil. They're like that person you? is the decision maker for most churches. Yeah. Let's, ta yeah. let's take. Let's hang on, Zach. Let's take a break. Go for it. Yeah, that, that's a that's a pretty powerful verse, um, Phil. I mean, I think it's um, I mean, it should convict us when we when we hear that and we hear that friendship with the world uh, makes us enemies to God, um, and we we can laugh that off and we can I could we can make fun of you know, make make fun of Phil for saying it and and call him an old crusty fundamentalist, but I mean, the, but the the text is still there, yep. and, I, and I think we've lost a reverence, not just for God's word, but for God Himself, and and. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, I think that we, I want to please him more than men. I was thinking when you were reading that, I was thinking of, um, of Lot and his wife. In, and when they escaped Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, she had a very hard time leaving behind that that culture, leaving yep. behind the, the friendships that she'd made. And, and just all she was she got so ingrained in the culture that she, you know, she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Um, in Second Peter, I think uh, I was just looking for. I think it's like in chapter two when it talks about Lot. It said that he was tormented in his righteous soul for the people. And um, here it is: he rescued Lot, uh, oppressed by the essential conduct of unprincipled men, for what he saw and he heard that righteous men, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. Two thousand years out from Jesus, it's not new. These things it's not, are exactly. What it, it's 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 been going on since God made us. But you know what? You know what's the, the irony is 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 that I, I would I would bet my life on this that the churches that that grow that, that shrink. I can tell you one thing. I bet they don't. I bet they don't have a, a pastor who is tormented in his righteous soul day after day by the lawless deeds of the people. I, I think to have more pastors and church leaders to actually feel the burden of the ministry of the gospel of reconciliation, yep. I think churches that grow are the ones that are authentic, and the ones that are authentic are the ones that are rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I, to me, this whole discussion, I mean, I think what what I'd love to be a part of is, is, is church as a church movement that is or the spirit of God is moving and you see lives being fundamentally changed. You, you, but you're not going to see that without the truth of, of, of who God is and the truth of his word. So, I mean, it's uh, you may be savvy and you may be cool and you may be culturally relevant, but I, I, I think uh, I would argue that one of the greatest idols in 2022 for the church is probably cultural relevancy. And I've had to deal with that in my own life and, over the past probably two years, I've begun to okay. I got to. I don't want. I don't want to, to prop that up because I see where now that's headed. And and it's yep. stats like this that 
that that scare me scare the scare the hell out of me you know no pun intended they literally scare the hell out of me you know yeah i'm but, with you i understand it's interesting you brought up lot too from the peter passage because to jason's point earlier talking about how that sometimes people will take public stands but then privately you know all these things will come out so they're just seen as hypocritical but it's interesting that lot was seen as righteous by god Although he probably should have left Sodom and Gomorrah long before because his family was being destroyed there. But after he leaves, he survives with his two daughters. And then he gets drunk and sleeps with both of them and produces two children, which were Moab and Amnon, mm-hmm. who became terrible nations that God had, you know, has separated from Israel for years and years and years. So I, I find it interesting that he, he was a righteous man. I mean, the Bible says that about him, that he did believe in God, but he had to have been impacted by that terrible culture. And you see that result afterwards. So, uh, you know, sometimes you just can't, I mean, we all have to live in the world. Paul said that, right. But you don't want the world living in you. I mean, you have to keep that, as Jay said earlier, out of your own house to start with. You know, because it is bad. You know, and you have to be able to present. A Plus, better we're not in a here way. to we're not here to judge the world. Uh, James is going to nope. say, I, "I've been reading chapter four, but the last thing he says, uh, basically, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Our job is to point them to God, namely Jesus in flesh, and His removal of their sin by dying on a cross and being resurrected after it's all said and done that right there pretty well all churches need to stand on that and not budge we don't have to go around yeah. bad mouthing the world what all they're doing we look at them we see it and we're like man boy do they ever need some counseling and some bible teaching but uh we're we're relics of the past now. It, it didn't take long. I mean, it, we hadn't been here for 250 years, but it is upon us now. Oh, there's no doubt. That's true. And, you know, we I agree that we need to have a positive message about Christ. I was watching a, someone who's running for governor of Georgia, and she said, I'm tired of people saying Georgia is a great place to do business when it's the worst place to live in. This is a woman running for yeah. governor of the state. And she just yeah. said, my state's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And, and I don't even want to be here. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, be I mean, I just thought <laughs> as, as, as a Christian and as a Christian leader, I don't, I don't want to be that person. I, I don't want to just be the one that's always, I want to be positive about what Christ does. I want to be positive about the fruit in your life, the change in your life. I mean, that's a much better message than just constantly being the angry person that says it's terrible. I think the problem here. In Colossians, yeah, the problem in Colossians was I think they recognized, I mean, the culture. Twice he said, you're you're following the basic principles of the world or these people who are coming up with these arguments rather than Christ. So in Colossians 3, you know, he he basically gives a blueprint for how we're to operate, but what they did in response in the church was they came up with a a bunch of rules to seemingly combat the culture. I mean, but they weren't focused on Christ, but the, the reason I was basing uh, what I said earlier is when you get to the last verse of chapter two, 
these rules yeah, that they read from read from uh Jace, read all the way from 20 down to the bottom i'll read it but i want to read the last verse first because i just want to make the point that they had all these rules that we'll read about and they were trying to put the church under law and they had done the worst thing that you can possibly do which is i mean paul says it graphically is they had decapitated jesus from a part of the system. That's what it says. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the last phrase of chapter you, hang two. Hang on before you read it. Hang on, let's take a break. The last phrase in chapter two is, no matter all these things they'd come up with in the church to combat the culture, they didn't lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. There, it wasn't working what they were coming up with. So you say, well, what were they coming up with? In verse 16, he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. And such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head. Well, the head is Christ. There's the decapitation of Christ. Yep. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. But you got to remember, he's not talking about the world. These are people claiming to be leaders in the church. They're the one caused this, not the not the world. Yeah. They came up with a rule system to combat the world that was outside of Jesus. I mean, that's what's going on. So then he says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, he had just mentioned that. You know, we spent two podcasts talking about it. Why is though? You still belong to it. Do you submit to its rules? This is where I came up with the idea of the number one rule is there are no rules. People are like, where'd you come up with that? Right there. Jesus has freed us from that. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with self-imposed worship, false humility, and the harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so the point I want to make is when he gets chapter three and he has one little phrase that I think is the most important. And he says in three, three, you died and your life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ in this one little phrase, who is your life, he is your life appears. Then you'll be with him in glory. So that, that, to me, that's how you combat it. You, I think, as a church and as leaders, you should focus on being just like Jesus was in his world. We should be just like Jesus in our world. Daily conversations in the world. There's a there's a that's how we do it. There's a big <clears throat> shift out there. It's it it involves two groups. Peter said, since Christ suffered in his body. Here's our, our, our answer to this, uh, that survey you just mentioned there, Zach. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. 
This is serious. This is a strange sounding because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. We've got a gigantic uh, group of individuals in our culture. And you say the way out is you don't live the rest of your earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And anybody who hears that in our culture <clears throat> would say about me, if they're listening to me right now, they would say, you talk about, and y'all too, you talk about a bunch of strange dudes. Strange. Remember, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. We've all been there and done that. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness. It sounds like my life. Orgies, not quite that bad, I don't think. Carousing and detestable idolatry. Now watch this. Our culture around us and the people that, it, that it's impacted, including churches across our land, they think it's strange, strange now, that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Those are the, they're doing it to the faithful, and it's just an onslaught, and it never stops. They will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So, yeah, but, I mean, but my point is, Phil, these, when you read that list. They, they say you are one strange dude when people hear you speak. They say, that's I, I a, like that. That's I like a, That's I like. a strange acting old boy. <laughs> because the point of Colossians is, he says, Chase don't you know it. the mystery of godliness is that Christ is in you? Well, when you read that list of sins and you see a guy coming giving you advice about church or how you should act yeah you can know if if that person looks like jesus that's right i mean when you're saying to yourself okay wait a minute now jesus would <clears throat> never do that he, he just wouldn't do that you, you can see that in people they look at you jay said that why in the world do you you're you're being cursed every day why, why in the world would you keep doing what you're doing yeah and people see you coming and say, oh, well, i'm glad you asked the question because what I'm saying is, what do we do about the culture? What do we do about the church leaders? And he's finally going to get to the end. And when he gets in chapter 3, in verse 23, and I want to highlight the word you. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Because these men had come in and influenced the church. And they were doing whatever you know that didn't look like jesus they were not they were people were not seeing christ in them which is our fundamental purpose for being on the earth but at some point you got to look around you're not going to find a perfect church there's going to be false prophets in every church there's going to be hypocrites anti-christ running in every direction the world is going to do what they do Yep, And we're not going to go try to police every social issue out there without Jesus. It's not going to work. 
No. They're going to argue. We're going to argue. And then people say, oh, you told them. You're standing on truth. Reality uh, I, I love is found uh, in Christ. Point about love, you know, because you, you, you have to be bigger th- than that and not get your feelings hurt and have daily well, conversations on whatever you do. You do it for the Lord because Christ is in you. So, and you do it in love, but you're not going to be able to, to get people to change their behavior in our culture without Jesus. It, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that is correct. So yeah, I, I mean, a lot of these no, people, no they're pa- like, there's no power there. Yeah. Let's go on this no crusade pa- and, and tackle some issue. And the only exception I make is the one about preserving innocent life. Cause I do think that that's different because you can't help someone if they're murdered before they get here. I mean, we, we need to try to protect that because we believe all people are made in the image of God. I mean, and so we try to step in and, and at least get them here. Yep. I, I feel like there is a, a rescue that needs yeah, to but be we are, done, done but, there. You know, I, I mean, there. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to nail it down, though, because it's, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, particularly on the emphasis of me taking responsibility for my own walk and, and, and like me living out the Christian life, you know, I think that we do get very caught up. It's, e- it's, it's, it's an easy distraction for me to look at a survey like this and, and become doomsday man, a doomsday prophet about the, the, the perils of the church and, and the culture and the, you know, that's, that's easy to do. And, and I think that honestly, probably one of the reasons why you see those statistics is people reacting to that and then kind of being embarrassed by that and then going to the other extreme. Um, so I do think that the, the, the easy solution for us is to focus on ourselves and our own spiritual wall. But I mean, Jesus does have something to say about, about, I mean, he is Lord of everything. And so I think it's a, it's just a hard discussion because we are to be salt and light. And I do think well, that even beyond. Yeah. I get letters all the time, Zach, and they say they're young and they're in college, and they, they give me that information, and they say, you are a very bold man. How come I can't get bold like you get bold? How, what do you tell them? Well, let me, let me interject something. Yeah, they're 21. I have a, I have a question that popped in my head. Did Jesus come to save people, or did he come to f- fix the religious world? You just think about his minute. Look at his whole ministry while he was here in his whole life. He came here seemingly to show the value in every person. He did it on a daily basis. Now, the religious world, they came to him and said, hey, what are you doing? Well, then he, he addressed them when they came to him. But he didn't come here trying to fix you know, the religious world, that just kind of happened because they kept confronting him. So my point was, I'm going to try to be like Jesus in the world. And because well, if I try to fix the religious world or the culture without Jesus, guess what? I'm going to spend all my time spinning my wheels. You are. I'm just yeah, going to be sitting but, yeah, here but, spinning but, but, but in one did, place. But he did come. But he did come to, he did come to say, seek and save the lost, but he also... I mean, he did bring tremendous religious reformation. You think about in, um, Matthew he did. 10. I read this passage on Sunday. He, and, he and, did, uh, but I'm saying more times than not, they confronted him and he responded. 
Now there were no, occasions I I don't think where he... he went. He went to the synagogue. Or, you know, it, I mean, there were yeah. okay, but those were rare. And I'm saying, if you get caught up in trying to fix all the false prophets, well, you're going to spend your rest of your life doing that. <laughs> no, that's true. That's that's, a, that's actually a good point. I mean, I think that my point was that that uh, change comes, social change comes when when people change, right? I mean, like we we want to address uh, like social justice is, issues, but the problem with that is, you know, uh, the systems are made up of individual people. So if you're going to have any real system change, you're going to have to have people in the system change. And I think that's where Jesus's ministry was focused on was, was like people, you know, people finding it, not just atonement from sin, but also transformation. And when that happens, it, I mean, it did, you think about the, I mean, Phil and I went to Rome and we got to witness the, um, and now you were there, we got to witness the ruins of the Roman empire, which, is pretty impressive. Even the ruins are fairly impressive. And, and yep. imagine this was a couple thousand years ago. And then you think about this carpenter, you know, this guy named Jesus, who was not a man of noble birth at all, just instituted, you know, his ministry that what we talked about uh, when Jesus was baptized and the spirit of the Lord descended on him like a dove. And the father said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And from that moment on for three years, Something happened in that three years that was powerful enough to bring down the Roman Empire, even though that wasn't his primary agenda. But it did happen, and then in AD seventy, it brought down uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And so, I mean, so, so something very, very profound happened. And I think it was the ministry of reconciliation that individual people were participating in. Do you remember Zach? One of the most powerful uh, scenes we saw was you know you go to the Roman Colosseum and you walk in and, and it's it's amazing. I mean that mm-hmm. two thousand years later <clears throat> that they engineered and built this thing and most of it's still standing. But then you looked on one end and somebody I don't know when I, I never heard when it happened, but somebody put a cross um, at the end of the Colosseum. Remember it was down. Yep. It's big. It was yep. a big cross. And I thought that was really a great symbol to see and look and see that, you know what, the cross conquered the Coliseum, even though at the time, the things that were happening there and the Christians were on the run and they were persecuted so badly under different. For 300 years, for 300 years after Jesus left, the Roman Empire tried their best to slaughter all of Christians. 300 Mm -hmm. years. And then they slowly, old Constantine, some of their emperors heard about him. And they and they started following Jesus, and it began to ease. But but the yeah. damage had already been done. Well, I was just trying to make the point of <clears throat> what Colossians was dealing with. I mean, I can give you two different occasions. One, when I went to a worldly event and shared Jesus. Everybody was drunk. I mean, they had strippers there. And, you know, a brother confronted me. He said, you should have never gone there. I said, well, I did, number one, I didn't know they were going to have strippers. <laughs> You can't, you can't, we're working some, we're working different events here. Yeah, you you can't just drop, uh, I was at an event with strippers. I mean, you got to give us more context. They they were raising money for, for the ducks. Uh, It was a ducks unlimited group. Phil was supposed to be there, which I think the Lord intervened uh, because he got sick or something. I take Phil's place and I go there and this place was, (laughs) you talking about evil. So I go in there, and I'm supposed to get up and speak. When I got up, everybody was so drunk. They they wasn't even 
given me the respect to hear what I, my duck call demonstration. And I mean, it was just, so I held my Bible up. It took a couple minutes to quieten down because people were looking around like, is that a man with a Bible? We, we have as, as bad, the only really wild party I've ever been to in my life. And I didn't know it was a wild party. When I find myself in this situation, so I held my Bible up and I gave a three-minute gospel presentation that I felt like didn't go well in no. this scenario. <laughs> so, but it was a real awesome experience for my faith. And I thought, I think this is what Jesus would do. I didn't do it in a mean, belligerent way. I just said, this is what I'm into. And then I did my duck call seminar. There was a smattering of applause. I went down the road. Well, three or four men that were there contacted me and wound up giving their life to Christ over that event. But then I had a brother in the Lord who I respected who confronted me over it, said, you shouldn't go to places like that. Well, I vehemently disagreed with that. You were correct. I, I, I thought, here's a guy using a rule system based on the basic principles of the world that I I just didn't agree with that situation. Now, having said that, the other scenario is I went to a church group and did the same speech. Now, there was none of that going on. I had another brother confront me and said, well, you shouldn't go to those types of churches because they're in error. And they were, you know, giving me the list of things that they're wrong about. And you going there endorses what, what they believe. Well, I disagree with that, too. So my point is, you say, what, what do you, what, what's your point? I got that model from Jesus. I didn't come up with that myself. I'm out here trying to share Jesus with people, and religious people are confronting me on every side saying, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. So I, I'm trying to use some of the arguments Paul is using about, look, I'm, I'm the body of Christ. Wherever I go, I, I'm going to share Jesus. I'm there, not going to get them to fill out a hang form on, and on. see if I agree with everything. Yep. Hang on, Dad. Before you do that, we're out of time. So we, I want you to read that verse when we get to overtime. Therefore, we'll the it's why hang, hang on, the Apostle Hold on, Paul. Phil. We're going we're gonna, hey, hang on, to take a break. We're going to do that in overtime. Right hang on. All right. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.